KRCL, Salt Lake City. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. Thanks for plugging into your community with me tonight. Tonight, I'm Laura Jones. And on the show, we're going to continue our Music Meets Activism mashup with the Magnify Utah platform. It's a new online presence from the Utah Division of Multicultural Affairs. And on their website, multicultural.utah.gov magnify, you're going to find a resource and learning hub that's connecting communities, places, and multicultural stories. You hear the refrain that we're living in polarized times. Well, here's a place you can go to learn something, share something, and together, magnify Utah. Tonight, we have coming up, Claudia Loiza is back from that project. And she's brought with her two folks to talk about Pacific Islander history and future in Utah. We have cousins, Lanetta Fitisimanu Taukeaho of Samoana Integrated Language Initiative and Jake Fitisimanu Jr. of the University of Utah Ethnic Studies. You may also recognize him as a city councilman from West Valley City. And they have put together a great playlist tonight to inform our conversation and expand your horizons, including another cousin who makes music right here in Utah. I believe also has a restaurant in Provo. So stick around because August is Pacific Islander Heritage Month. We're also going to hear the rest of my conversation with Sue Robbins of Equality Utah's Transgender Advisory Council. Started to share a bit of that conversation with you on the show last Friday, and tonight we'll share the rest. Of course, the Allies Gala coming up this Saturday at the Eccles, featuring comedian Eddie Izzard. First, we're going to do rallies and resources, which is going to include a special live update from Bill Tibbetts of Crossroads Urban Center of Utah on the Poverty Summit that's coming up this weekend. Stay tuned for details, as well as who walked away with the golden celery from the summer food drive through the Coalition of Religious Communities at Crossroads Urban Center. It's a great nonprofit in our community that's been around, hey, longer than KRCL, more than 50 years, doing great things in the community. It's a great resource if you need assistance, and it's a great way to offer your own services to give back and plug into the community. So stick around and we'll get you up to speed on all that. All right, Salt Lakers, the community outreach team from Mayor Aaron Mendenhall's office, holding monthly community office hours in locations throughout the city. And let's see, this week, Thursday, 4 to 6, they're at the Northwest Recreation Center at 1255 West Clark Avenue. And then Tuesday, August 30th, 4 to 6 p.m. at the Utah Pride Center. We'll put a link in the show notes, and we'll also put those items in rallies and resources so you can catch up with them if you'd like. If you're looking for a COVID-19 vaccine clinic, well, we've got some details from Salt Lake County Health Department. Tomorrow, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. at El Gallo Loco, 4 to 7 p.m. at Mercado Plaza del Sol, both of those in West Valley City. There's some other items related to housing Salt Lake City and their five-year housing plan, and they want your information. They want you to give them feedback, rather. So save the date. They're hosting a, a screening of the housing documentary Push September 8th, 6.30 p.m. at the main library. A Q&A on Salt Lake City's new five-year housing plan will follow. But we'll put a link in the show notes for the survey on the housing plan that you can take as well. Came across a new street festival that is happening Saturday, the Kensington Street Festival at Roja Brewing Project from 1 to 8. There's a bunch happening this weekend, folks. The Mill Creek Arts Festival, the Allies Gala that we talked about, and then, of course, Labor Day weekend, Polynesian Days, as well as Honey Days and the Urban Arts Festival. You can find details about all of those on the Rallies and Resources page of krcl.org. Click on Community Affairs to find out more. And lastly, also on Saturday, we're looking for some folks to take this vinyl record bowl workshop with our friends at Clever Octopus. You can uh, stretch your record for yourself and one for KRCL. We'll be taking some of those and having them available at the 909-day block party here at the station. But the workshop is happening 11 to 1 at Clever Octopus this Saturday, 2250 Southwest Temple. More details and a link to register tonight's show notes as well as on the Rallies and Resources page of krcl.org. Bill Tibbetts is here from Crossroads Urban Center to update us first on the golden celery, a, a can of dehydrated celery that you got how many decades ago? Um, we got it about 15 years ago, but it was probably 30 years old then. And so it was something 
we couldn't give away, but yeah. somebody really thought, wow, that would make a fun trophy for this yeah. food drive we're going to do for the first time. So it's, mm -hmm. um, it, and it's still, it is still the trophy. It's your Stanley Cup. Yeah. So the Coalition of Religious Communities, it was a little gamification of the, of the uh, food drive in the month of July. And when you were here last, it wasn't quite over. So who came away with bragging rights and the golden celery? It was, it was Mount Vista United Methodist Church. And they, um, they, I, I was actually really thrilled when they won because I was at a congregation I visited on the first Sunday of the food drive to say, hey, you know, let's participate. And somebody stood up and said, we're going to win this year. And I said, ah, oh, well, you know, <laughs> everybody said, would say that right now. You know, I mean, there's some amazing congregations to participate. And, and the woman said, no, we've already gathered more than a thousand pounds. So, um, wow, they they threw down. They were they and they stuck with it. And uh, they uh did an amazing job. And then you delivered the golden celery to them? I Yes, yes. I went there uh, last Sunday and, and delivered the trophy to them. And yes. now it's in a place of honor, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> all right. So the Poverty Summit that you hold annually, by you I mean Crossroads Urban Center and all the different organizations. I think powerful moms are involved, right? They are. So when we last had you on and, and we did Music Meets Activism with you, the lineup wasn't fully solidified, but now we're just a couple days away. So what is happening on Saturday, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. at Christ United Methodist Church in Salt Lake? Well, we're looking at a couple things, but the, really the biggest thing we're focusing on is what we as a community would need, need to do if we want to dramatically reduce homelessness between now and when uh, we want to host the Olympic Games again in 2030 or 2034? And I mean, this is an important question because it takes years to build housing, right? I mean, it, you, there's the funding process is complicated and, and it's not easy to do. And so if we don't start planning now, we're, we're not going to get there. Fortunately, we're in a year where the state government is, is probably is going to put about $25 million toward housing to reduce homelessness in Salt Lake County, $55 million total. And then there's uh, Salt Lake City has set aside some money. Salt Lake County has set aside some money. And so we um, are really excited because we have uh, people from, we have the mayor of Mill Creek, the mayor of Salt, uh, the point person on, on homelessness for Salt Lake City Mayor's Office, Andrew Johnston. We have um, Dina Blaze, who from the county mayor's office, um, and Wayne Niederhauser, the state homeless coordinate, uh, coordinator. And so we have, I mean, each of them, hopefully, you know, talking about how with in this year we can build, you know, 300, 400 units. And, and I think some of them, it sounds like they're hoping to, some of them will be ones that um, can come up pretty quickly. And so we can reduce the number of people using the shelters, reduce, hopefully reduce the number of people sleeping outside. And, uh, and I think it's really important as, as we do those things that we document and celebrate the success because what we don't want to do is do what we did in 2006 where we stopped building the housing we needed to reduce homelessness. We got part of the way there and then we stopped for 10 years. And, and I think um, so we don't want this to be a year where we made a little bit of progress and then said mission accomplished. And you mentioned the Olympics. Utah seems hot to trot to host the Olympics again. And as I recall, you know, the, the concept of housing was a big part of let's use the Olympics to leverage this. Let's build housing. How do you think we did in terms of a legacy from the last Olympics? And what does that inform the con how does that inform the conversation? in light of the next Olympic Act? Well, when I started working at Crossroads, uh, I started in November of 2001. And so one of the first things I did w was uh, actually document, help document how the Olympics impacted the people we served. And so I spoke to people who were staying in uh, like a short-term hotel where they kicked everyone out for the games. And this was pre-Airbnb. Yeah, because so they could rent because they could rent it out for more for a day than they were charging people for a week, more for a day than they were charging people for a month. And so, um, you know, they, it was, uh, I mean, I saw people who were displaced. I saw people who, who were made homeless during, during the last games. And, and I think um, our hope is that by talking now, you know, we can have, we can have 
less people homeless when the games start. We can have a plan uh, for for ha- for keeping people indoors because the game the winter games happen in February. It's really cold, and uh, you know it is not a good time to have a surge in homelessness. And so our uh, our we um, we think that if you know I mean if we're going to spend time talking about the Olympics, planning for the Olympics, let's let's actually be realistic and planning for for the housing needs, planning for uh, increases in homelessness during the games, and and like how it will look for our city if we just if we allow if we allow the number of people sleeping outside to increase because we don't address homelessness. Yeah. Um, and and so I I think. You know, there are people who could come together who, who might not otherwise with, with that. Um, there are people who <laughs> haven't been engaged on homelessness who may hopefully with, with the push toward preparing for the Olympics will be more engaged. Well, and because you did that work in 2001, we can say we're not saying this might happen. We're saying this has happened. It will happen again. We can't be blind to it because we've gone through this once. And so what will the legacy of the Olympics be a second time around in the Beehive State? I, I think that that's going to be part of it. And I think that if, you know, if um, if there's a large number of people sleep camping outside during the games or if, you know, they've if there are people who are pushed out of the downtown area to 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 somewhere in, in the salt flats in anticipation of the games, you can't hide that. Mm-hmm. People will that will be that will be the thing that people will remember about the games. And so, it's much better to, you know, plan and, and prepare. And I mean, it's uh, the uh, and and I think on the housing front, I mean, I, I our concern is is that Airbnb is one of the official sponsors for the games and when you look at what they're saying about the 2028 games in Los Angeles saying well we don't need to do and worry about housing because Airbnb's got it covered um and wow uh, that's what you're hearing that's that's the chatter that's no I mean that's that's what because they're a sponsor that's what the people putting the games on are saying and so that's a huge disconnect yeah well I mean considering that there's research showing that uh, inc- that increased increased in um, that as the share of housing that's owned by the, in the short-term rental market goes up, the the share of that total um, that housing prices go up, that rent prices go up, and and it just makes sense. I mean, you can't have thousands of units, tens of thousands of units, um, you know, being made available for short-term rentals and uh, and and not have that impact prices. So the 17th People's Summit on Poverty happening this Saturday, people can still sign up? Yeah, it's free, it's open to the public. It's um, at Christ United Methodist Church, um, basically on the corner of 23rd East and 33rd South. We also have a panel, so we're talking a lot about housing to reduce homelessness, about what's being done, about what needs to be done. We're also having a panel on legislative initiatives uh, we have three different state legislators coming to talk about things that they're doing on that will help families struggling with inflation you got food prices up 13 percent this year um, there are a lot of families struggling and remind folks the demand on the food pantry with crossroads urban center is up exponentially yeah i mean when i was here uh, a few weeks ago i was i you know our statistics said we were up 65 percent in terms of families we're serving this year compared to last year it's now we got another month in of statistics in and it, it were at 67 percent and so 60 percent seven percent higher more people were serving this year than last year and so I, I think um, that you know we're, we're just seeing it I mean you know it and it makes sense I mean when rent is up 24 percent and food is up 13 percent people are gonna have trouble um, you know just getting through the month I also like as part of the summit you are gonna give out your uh Joe Duke Rosati Hellraiser Award. Yes, yes. Every we uh, there are lots of um, lots of awards for being proper and uh, and <laughs> for not rubbing, you know, not uh, rocking the boat. We try to give an award for somebody who who has rocked the boat. And this year, I'm really pleased that we're um, going to be able to give an award to Eric Peterson with the the Utah Investigative Journalism Project. They've done. They've done, spent the time and done the research and, and produced really powerful stories that just wouldn't have happened without somebody 
taking the time and, and doing the work. And it, it, they, um, it's, uh, I mean, I, I can't think of anybody who's gotten the award who's deserved it more than, than Eric and, and his project. He digs into the public record and uh, works to get that data disseminated, whether he publishes it, the Tribune publishes it, or we have a conversation about it. So I think uh, that's well-deserved. So thank you for giving that to Eric. Once again, where can people get more details and uh, participate in the 17th People's Poverty on Summit this Saturday? Well, the the flyer's on the front page of our website, www.crossroadsurbancenter.org. We'll put it in the show notes as well. Bill, thanks for always coming in. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. And now a conversation continues with Sue Robbins of the Transgender Advisory Council with Equality Utah and the recent court win on HB 11 that would prohibit transgender girl student athletes from participating, competing in junior high and high school athletics. Here we go. One of the things around HB 11, it created this sports commission to decide if girls were girl enough or not enough. And we saw that come into play in a story that also came out this week about some parents of girls who lost at some sports activity to a girl they felt didn't look female enough. And it was weird how the story came out. What is your take on this? And can you explain it a little bit to us? First, I'm not surprised it's happened because I've been saying all along it will happen. We experienced this back in the days when they came out with bathroom bills, where if you didn't look female enough, there were people that were attacking girls for going into the girls' bathroom because everybody judges transgender girls by having masculine characteristics that they stereotype. Yeah, a stereotype notion of feminine beauty. Exactly, and they even made that exact statement to the Utah High School uh, Activities Association that she didn't appear feminine enough, so they thought she was transgender. And therefore, she should not have been allowed to compete, let alone beat their darling daughters. Exactly. So we see how this goes now is this not only is an attack on transgender girls, this is an attack on girls and women on the whole, because now we're judging what bodies look like or making judges judgments against them and trying to prevent them from uh, existing out in society based on looks. Mm. And the part that harms the transgender community extra is being deemed transgender is now the stigma. So you're either a girl or you're less than, and you're a transgender girl, so we need to exclude you. So that's what makes this judge's statements about exclusion not being constitutional more important in that we don't exclude um, the disabled girls. We don't exclude girls of color. We We don't exclude girls who need to wear particular religious garments. None of those things we exclude for, so why would we exclude transgender girls? We don't. Another story that came back again because of interim committee, and Troy Williams from Equality Utah was on Wednesday night and said, look for this on Thursday, and it came out, was pushback against conversion therapy ban, which was a rule that Governor Herbert enacted, um, and now lawmakers want to repeal it in law, perhaps. What happened in this interim committee meeting this week? Yep, we're going to have to see which way this goes because an interim sometimes is just more of a discussion and people don't really put their stakes in the ground as hard. And what we had was Senator Brady Brammer came in with, and I know one of the individuals he brought forward was a conversion therapist before. So people who support conversion therapy are giving him information, and now he's coming in and saying, are we doing the right thing? And there's a couple angles to this looking at some of the uh, discussion that happened is there's the angle of whether Doppel, the Division of Professional Licensing, which is who Governor Herbert tasked to to have the role, whether they have the authority to uh, enforce something like this because they're allowed to enforce standards. And the question that's being put there is, are they allowed to enforce talk and that's the way it's being positioned as a free speech issue and it's chilled the ability to practice as a psychotherapist psychologist psychiatrist and one of the interesting comments i saw in the coverage of this interim committee hearing was well you know they used to say that being lgbtq was a mental condition and i thought that was a really interesting throwback that someone brought up 
very much a throwback. We've we've gotten past that uh, as far as our gay, lesbian, bisexual community. In the transgender community, there's still, and it's not, we, we need to be careful with wording, in DSM-4, they used to call it gender identity disorder. And DSM is and a di- diagnostic manual. It's a diagnostic manual for therapists, psychologists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that got thrown out because everyone realized the stigma with calling it a disorder because it wasn't. And they changed, changed it to gender dysphoria in DSM-5, which is basically I'm struggling with the uh, incongruence between who I know I am inside and the way people perceive me. So it, it ends up having mental health impacts to not be seen properly. So it has nothing to do with being transgender. It has everything to do with the way people perceive you and the way you react to that. Mm. So being transgender doesn't even have that. It's just that perception of other people. So we're well past saying there's a mental health problem with being LGBTQ on any scale. And that is one of the core reasons why conversion therapy needs to stay gone. And it has been overturned in a large majority of the states. And conversion therapy used to have implications of electroshock therapy. And it seems like it's a kinder, gentler conversion therapy that perhaps some lawmakers wish to bring back. Yeah, and it's still, I mean, even beyond conversion therapy, I've heard of uh, guys that were stripped down and then tied to each other. And you know, really weird things to try and cause aversion is what the intent was. And I think now they're going to try and hang on what they call talk therapy which you're saying you you can't control what we say, but the problem is, is it's still harmful to these people. You can't change people from who they are. Well, and again, the the rule that Governor Herbert approved and ordered the Division of Occupational and Professional Licensing to enact was about minors. Adults are free to pursue any therapy they wish and is legal. Yes. So we're back to the minors being attacked. And when we look at what's coming from the extremist and the attacks, you know, instead of let's let's clean up our air, let's get water in the Salt Lake, let's take care of our road problems and all that. They want to come after transgender youth health care. They want to come after transgender youth in sports. They want to come after youth conversion therapy ban. It's all attacking youth because they feel like they can get headway by saying we're trying to protect your kids look at the harm they're doing to these lgbt kids they are not uh they're, they're over accepting them they're grooming them and you know the grooming is happening on the other side where we're grooming people who are attacking the fbi with weapons and attacking governors with weapons etc you know going after our congress Uh, We need to calm this country down, get in the middle, and be working towards the goals of the country instead of having these super red meat wedge issues that are coming in that are really harming our youth across the board. Well, it's exactly this kind of policy work that you are in the middle of and testifying about during interim and during general session. Uh, for which you are being recognized on the 27th at the Allies Gala with Equality Utah. I just want to say congratulations. Well, thank you. It's it's always nice to be recognized, and I appreciate all the work I've done with Equality Utah and the people there. I, you, you always have that flip side is if you're always doing work to protect people, you wish you didn't have to be recognized because you'd rather they not be attacked. <laughs> But it's, it, it is what it is, and I'm still going to keep sitting here fighting for them. It's, you know, when you meet some of these youth, then you're, you know why you need to protect them. And I think that's the biggest problem with a lot of these people. They're going on the attack without actually meeting and getting to know youth. So that's causing a lot of problems. So I'm going to continue to encourage families of these youth to know your representative, have them meet them, let the kids speak how they're being harmed, and that will be impactful. Sue Robbins of Equality Utah's Transgender Advisory Council and the Impact Award honoree at this coming weekend's uh, Allies Gala with Equality Utah. Check tonight's show notes for a link. And now to kind of get us set up for the rest of the hour, we've got Claudia Loiza back from Magnify Utah with the Utah Division of Multicultural Affairs. Thanks for coming back on these Mondays with us. 
Thank you. It's what I look forward to every week. Okay, we've got some great folks coming up. Oh, yes. And uh, we're going to talk about Pacific Islander history and future here in Utah with some cousins. And they brought a playlist that includes a cousin. (laughs) So we're going to get a lot of, I think, family stories. Oh, yeah. We're going to keep it real. But Mm -hmm. uh, you had a song you wanted to put on the playlist. What are we going to hear? So this song um, was actually introduced to me and my my husband by a friend. And to give you some context, and I think I, I shared a little bit about this last time, but um, my, my husband has some deep connections to Hawaii and, um, his family is Portuguese, you know, Portuguese have, um, has a, have a long history on the island. And this particular song was interesting to me because it taught me a new piece of knowledge and history around just the islands in general. So Navaqueros, as you can probably tell, Vaqueros is a Spanish word. And, um, I recently learned from, from him and this friend that in, um, the early, you know, 1800s, there. Um, were a couple of longhorns gifted to King Kamehameha and um, eventually some Mexican cowboys and Mexican vaqueros came over to help um, folks there on the islands learn how to tend to the to the cattle and how to grow them, how to thrive on the land. Um, and it, you know, created this entire dynamic for what we, I guess, now know as Hawaiian cowboys or paniolos and the whole cultural, whole music and a genre behind it. And um, it's just like one other way, I guess, for me to reconnect my heritage, which is Mexican, to um, a heritage that is close to my, you know, families, my husband's heart and different folks and friends that I've learned along the way. So you'll hear some Hawaiian, obviously, but also some Spanish. So Navaqueros, Cuana Torres Cajele, right? Yes. Music meets activism on KRCL.
Utah Foster Care's second annual diaper and hygiene drive is happening now. Collecting personal hygiene items and diapers of all sizes for Native children in foster care. Donations accepted at the Urban Indian Center, Utah Division of Indian Affairs, Utah Department of Health, and KRCL. Save the date. KRCL's 909-day block party and record sale is coming up on September 9th, and we'd love to see you there. We recently moved our studios into the thriving and diverse Guadalupe neighborhood, and we're inviting you to come down and check out our new space. Plus, get to know some of our new neighbors and do some record digging as we welcome back the annual KRCL record sale. The 909-day block party and record sale, Friday, September 9th, 4 to 8 p.m. at KRCL. It's going to be... at krcl.org. Yes, on our website. It's going to be a blast, folks. I'm Laura Jones. You're listening to Radioactive. And coming up at 7, it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman, followed by Red, White, and Blues with Brian Kelm at 8, Night Train with Michelle Tanner at 10.30, and then John Florence starting up a brand new day at 6 a.m. for you. You can check out the last two weeks of any of our shows on demand at krcl.org. Just click on the programming tab. All right, Music Meets Activism is back with Magnify Utah. And tonight we have two cousins in, and they're going to introduce themselves. But let me do a little bit first. We've got the Pacific Islander History and Future conversation with these cousins. Lanetta Fittisimanu Taukeaho, thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And you're with a group called Samoana Integrated Language Initiative. I want to hear all about that, okay? Okay. And then also Jake Fittisimanu Jr. from the University of Utah, where you are an instructor of ethnic studies, but you're also a city councilman in West Valley City. How many years have you been doing that? This is the start of my second term, so about five years in. How's it going? It's it's going. Yeah, yeah it's never boring. <laughs> I'll tell you that. It's never boring, and it's totally different from what I expected when I first jumped in. Yeah, for sure. So... On the Magnify Utah website, which is multicultural.utah.gov slash magnify, folks, there are great resources there. If you click on uh, people in particular, there is a, a whole series on immigrant communities and within that Pacific Islander communities, building visibility and opportunity and some great information. The community is primarily concentrated in Salt Lake City and its immediate suburbs with 85% of Utah's 38,000 Pacific Islander peoples living in the county alone. And this means that Salt Lake County has the highest ratio of Polynesian descendants in the continental U.S., according to Magnify Utah. That's, that's, that's a huge distinction. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about the origin story for each of you. And Lynetta said, Jake, you're going first. Yeah. <laughs> I was born in uh, New Zealand uh, on the North Island. Uh, my mom is from Hawaii and uh, has Chinese and Korean ancestry as well. My dad's from Samoa. So um, that's where this mix that the uh, listeners can't see, the gorgeous mix here in front of them. But <laughs> Check the show notes. Comes, yep, we got a photo. Check the show notes. That's where it comes from. Uh, Utah uh, became the trajectory of my family because of uh, the want for educational opportunities for social mobility, socioeconomic stability, and all that good stuff. And so um, been here, uh, did my undergrad and my master's degree here in Utah, um, always with the plan of returning to Hawaii. Um, but I'm still here, uh, 20 years plus, still going, and uh, this is home. And we've built a, there is already, there already was a very vibrant community here. And so it was easy to make home here. Lynetta, how about you? Um, so my parents, um, they met at, in BYU, Hawaii. So my mother is from the Big Island of Hawaii in Kailua Kona. And my father um, immigrated to the States from Samoa. And after graduating college, they made their way to Utah for work. So he has been an educator um, teaching in the Granite District for 25 years, retired, and is now like back teaching kindergarten in Murray District. So, <laughs> well, well, thank thank him for us. Yeah. We got this teacher shortage going on, so thank him. You're also the communications director with something called Samoana Integrated Learning Initiative, or Sa'ili for short, which I understand is a Samoan word. Yeah, so um, we provide free uh, Samoan language courses to the public. Um, well, we charge a minimal fee for an instructor, <laughs> but um, we've been um, trying to revitalize it. We've, we've, it's kind of taken a hiatus since the pandemic. It's really hard to teach online and, yeah. and learn online. <laughs> and so hopefully um, we will be able to offer classes in class um, in person soon. 
How can people track down Sa'ili? So we have a website. It's sa'ili.org. So S-A-I-L-I.org. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. Any of the resources you hear during Radioactive, you can always check the show notes at krcl.org. The archive is under Community Affairs. So, all right, Jake and Lynetta, how would you recap the history of how Pacific Islanders came to Utah? It's not all Friendly Island Tongan Festival like we had a couple weekends ago over at Jordan Park. There is um, a history that we have to reckon with. Jake? The history of how Pacific Islanders came to Utah Uh, It's kind of almost the final leg of an epic voyage of thousands of years and thousands of miles. And so the the Pacific Islander migration is considered by, you know, many one of the greatest migration stories in the history of humankind. And really that voyage didn't stop in the islands, even though these navigators who were sailing the seas um, actually discovered and peopled over 10,000 islands in the Pacific Ocean, which is the largest ocean on the planet, right? And they didn't just stop there, they continued. And there's a lot of really compelling evidence, a lot of published peer-reviewed evidence now of Pacific Island, the ancestors of our modern-day Polynesians reaching the shores of what is now uh, called North and South America. And so in this, now it's into the more modern times, even in 1785, we have records of Native Hawaiians being here on the continental United States in the Pacific Northwest. There's a river uh, called the Owyhee River that runs from Oregon through Idaho down into uh, Elko County, Nevada, which is right next to Tooele County. Um, and that was named after, um, it was a mispronunciation of Hawaii, but um, Hawaiian trappers and mountain men were the first ones to actually map and navigate that river, um, which comes all the way down to Tooele County. And so even before this was called Utah, uh, in the early 1800s, there were native Hawaiians who were trapping and logging and working uh, with these different mountain man companies and rendezvous in this Rocky Mountain region. Um, And so it's a very long storied history. In the 1870s, we then have the first permanent residence here in Salt Lake City, uh, more specifically Warm Springs, just up the street from here. Uh, And then in the 1880s, we have the Yosepa Settlement, which is kind of the most well-known community. Uh, And since then, we now have four or five generations of Pacific Islanders from those those communities still here. Kamali Traperis of the Island Wave podcast who took over the show a couple about a month back leading into Pacific Islander Heritage Month let drop that there's a documentary in the works about Yosepa that's being told by folks from the community which I think is a perspective that hasn't been um, uh, heard from before or in control of that story and I'm kind of curious Lynetta if um, Saili is a little bit about that as well about taking control of that narrative. Yeah, I think um, a lot of the research Jake and I have done um, has to do with our Samoan heritage, and we wanted to learn more about the early saints that are Samoan that were settling there as well, which I think sometimes gets a little missed. It, it's yeah. only mentioned a Hawaiian colony, yeah. but really it was there were a lot of different um, folks from the Pacific living there. Um, and so we were compiling a list of different Samoan names of um, residents, and that kind of started our little research journey together, I, I would say. And um, you're, again, cousins, so mm-hmm. you're looking up the family story in no small part, it sounds like. The names are familiar, the villages are familiar, and it's really interesting and really compelling to be able to meet with descendants of the very first Samoans who were here as early as the 1890s uh, and to see what a contribution their descendants have made and to think about the hardships and the oppression and the discrimination and all those things that they went through in those, uh, I guess we could call it quote unquote pioneer days. Um, But because of their resilience and because of their ingenuity and because of that um, stick-to-itiveness, we see how that was passed down to descendants and how that continues to contribute to Utah today. And that's a really cool part of the story. This gets us to a song on your playlist that you sent over. The song is Ke Ala Ula. Am I doing that any justice there, Yeah, Jake? yeah pretty close. <laughs> so tell us about the song as we started off a bit in the background. Ke Ala Ula refers to the sunrise. And this song was composed um, by the Nihau, um, uh, Sons of Nihau. And uh, it's about their grandmother, actually. And so it's a really cool song that talks about being rooted in the past and remembering the people and the stories of the past as we move into the future, as we innovate 
and as we uh, move forward and progress. On KRCL, music meets activism. Kaha Sons singing Keala Ula here on KRCL Radioactive. In addition to music meets activism with my guests this evening, we have with us and talking about the history of Pacific Islanders in Utah and the future of Pacific Islanders. We have Lynetta Fitisimanu Taukeaho and also Jake Fitisimanu Jr. And this playlist picked by them. So a song about a mom. I think there's a lot of songs about moms out there. Tell me about moms and motherhood in Samoa and Samoan culture. Jake. One of the most uh, impactful stories that I encountered in the research that Lynette and I have been doing is the story of a woman named Simeafua Sataraka from the village of Taputimu in uh, Tutuila, Samoa, uh, who came uh, with her family to Utah in 1899, which was... uh, way back. I can't even imagine (laughs) what that was like living without those modern conveniences and things. Um, But this uh, mother was representative of all the mothers who were living out there in that desolate valley. Skull uh, Valley. Literally named Skull Valley, right? The most hospitable name you could find, I'm sure. And they were raising families. They were teaching in the schoolhouse. They were um, sending scholars out of this tiny community that was really marginalized if you look at it. And you have women like Nelly Yosefa, uh, who was the top of her class at BYU, been known as Brigham Young Academy back then, uh, for three years, which uh, for a woman at that time, let alone a woman of color uh, from, an, from a foreign background was a huge accomplishment. And if you look at uh, the, the grit and the intelligence that these women were instilling in the next generation, which uh, their descendants still live here today, Uh, I think that's a really powerful story. Lynetta, you're researching these stories uh, together, and I'm just kind of curious, what what does it mean for you individually, but also for what you think it might mean for the broader Samoan community and the rest of Utah to hear these stories, to see these stories, to take them in? Yeah, so when my parents came to Utah, I was born here, um, raised in northern Utah in Brigham City, um, very isolating (laughs) and white small town and um, there's only one other Polynesian family that was Tongan and so I felt 
um, very missed out in, in a lot of church history, um, you know, trying to figure out my identity and being so far away from the islands. And so doing this research really helps me to feel like, yes, I have a place here. My, uh, we have a history here. And yeah. so that's kind of um, why I, I've been doing this research, really. <laughs> what are you going to do with the research? Are uh, you going to write a book? I would love maybe a book, but who knows if it's if that's relevant to our youth today, if they would really <laughs> read it. Um, but I would love to be able to share it with our kids. Um, and, you know, I don't want them to go through what I went through. Yeah. Um, and so being able to share those stories with other children, um, Pacific Islander children growing up, especially growing up outside of the islands and in Utah, to showcase that we have history here, we have roots here. Um, and we belong, you know? Yeah. So Jake, what do you think along those lines? And I'm looking at the clock going, oh my gosh, it's already going by. We got to get your cousin's music in here. But um, along those lines of understanding where your history comes from in order to uh, strike a path forward. It's amazing when you're able to root yourself in identity. It gives you a confidence. It gives you a sense of belonging uh, and really that courage to be able to step in. Utah is an interesting place because this is the first place where we have uh, two Samoan um, news anchors, right, on primetime TV. It's the place where we have the first Samoan woman district court judge who's sitting on the bench right now. It's a place where we have Samoans and Tongans and Hawaiians in elected office. It's a place where we see ourselves represented in many fields um, that most, that many people would not have, would not envision Pacific Islanders in. We're very well represented in entertainment and on the sports fields, but we're represented here in Utah in many other dimensions. And having the power of knowledge, of identity, and belonging allows the next generation to move forward with courage. You sent some music in from another cousin. Tell us about David Rhythm. David Rhythm is our, our homie cousin out of Utah County. Uh, I love the story because it's a it's a typical Pacific Islander journey uh, of families from Samoa coming through Hawaii into Utah and now living our best lives. It's Tell Me by David Rhythm on KRCL 90.9. But you fuss a lot Always up and down with you Somehow we stick like glue Gave it time to marinate Take it back, let me demonstrate No need, no fuss, no fight Trust me, baby, we'll be up all night Tender touch And your long brown hair It's just the crazy things you do No other love can compare Give you love, give you love all night, baby Twice in a life. Tell me, would you run for me? Tell me, would you run for me? Tell me, would you run for me, baby, baby? Tell me, tell me, would you run for me? Tell me, would you run for me? Tell me, would you run for me, baby, baby? Don't get it when just the other day you was with it. You must have been talking with your friends, they hating again. Baby, all I need is one chance. And I ain't never been the type not to shoot my shot, but your boy into play. I just crush a lot. And even though I got to pass and it's catching up, let's put it behind us, take a chance and just shake this spot. And let me show you what I'm feeling deep inside my heart. If you hold me down, I promise, girl, I'll do my part. I know your ones, man. Stop all of your front end. Junior Miley checking in for be your one and only. Girl, I know you want me. Stop all of your front end. Junior Miley checking in for be your one and only. Girl, tell me, would you run for me? Uh, David Rhythm featuring Junior Miley. Tell me on KRCL 90.9. Music meets activism. We're talking with folks from Magnify Utah and a playlist by our guest tonight, Jake Fitisimanu Jr. and Lynetta Fitisimanu Taukeaho. Great playlist, and you introduced me to a new Utah-based musician. Also, family restaurant down in uh, Provo, right? Right, that's right. right. And they're listening in the kitchen right now. Shout out to Sweets, uh -huh. Island Grill. 
Um, you know, you were laying a whole bunch of connected dots when we were when we uh, turned the mic off. So I want you to tell that story again because, like you said, um, these stories people don't know or they're they're out of sight, out of mind. And it was something about one of the old line law firms here, right? And it connected to Moana even. So. <laughs> It was it was fascinating. Share that with right. us. When you're uh, downtown uh, near City Creek and you look up and see that big uh, building there the, with the Curtin McConkie uh, law firm there, um, the founder actually uh, is a descendant of Simeafor Sataraka, that Samoan woman we mentioned who's buried uh, there in Yosepa. And um, that's a story that a lot of folks don't know. Another descendant who, uh, David Derrick, friend of ours, uh, who's actually the storyboard animator for Disney's Moana movie, who... Uh, left another studio and came on to Disney because he just wanted to do justice uh, to his ancestor and and he actually kept a rubbing of her her gravestone from mm-hmm. Yosepa above his desk as he was animating this movie and 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 really embedding his Samoan uh, you know identity into the film and he's from Farmington yeah right here in Davis County another song on your list from an artist called Fiva Fiva what's right. this song about uh, Valo Valo Mai is a cool song because it's sung in the Samoan language, but in a Hawaiian musical style. And so it's a, another metaphor for that mixture, for that shared identity that we have and moving together in alignment with other communities. <laughs> Support for KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru and the Subaru Love Promise, a partnership with local nonprofit organizations to support and strengthen our community. Now accepting applications for 2023 nonprofit partnerships. More information on Mark Miller Subaru's Love Promise and application process at markmillersubaru.com. All right, I'm fitting in some more David Rhythm here. Fed Up featuring Latasha Lee. Tell us about this song and why it's on the list, Jake. Another one that I just enjoy listening to. This is my my ride home song, uh, and it it lets me uh, debrief and decompress before I come home and leave all my work at home, so I can walk in with my wife and kids and and just be chill. All right, and uh, we only have a little time left, and so I kind of want to go back to uh, um, some questions for the two of you, and you know, tell us how in your experiences and your research. The Pacific Islander communities have become integral to the growing story and the fabric of Utah. Like I said, 38,000 folks at least form the PI community here, the biggest outside of the islands, and uh, a growing story in our community. Lynetta? Jake? I think it's it's easy to, to kind of overlook contributions of groups that are relatively small even though we have a very large per capita population um, on a national you know there's only 1.5 million pacific islanders in all of the united states and so it's really neat to be able to raise a family in a community that is so vibrant in a community that's not just polynesian but now increasingly micronesian and and the the nuances and the the vibrancy of different languages and different flavors uh, and being able to really move forward and find an, a new American identity and formulate that here in Utah is such an amazing experience. You can be a West Valley City Council person. You can. You yeah. can be a communications director with Samo- Samoana Integrated Learning Initiative. And I'm just kind of curious, Lynetta, as you've been researching this and gathering these stories, what's your advice to folks listening about gathering and telling their own story and adding it to like magnify Utah at the very least? Um, I think it was important for me, especially when I was in college, to connect to my heritage. And so a lot of this research actually stemmed from my life, my assignments in school and in integrating that um, because I felt like that was really missing in, in the curriculum is, is for me to be able to connect in that way. And so um, using that research, you know, I, I didn't know where to start. <laughs> it really just starts with a, a Google search. I looked through periodicals. Um, a lot of old newspapers and things like that, but being able to go back in time and read those newspapers and see the perspective of how people viewed the communities, um, some of it really makes you angry, but yeah. you find things, you know, mm-hmm. things that you don't really get um, 
you you know digging through some of the library and and looking at um, other stories and finding you find some good things too you, you see celebrations that are happening the, the connection between the Goshutes um, that live next door in Yosepa whose land we were on so um, being able to see those those um, communities coming together to help each other um, so yeah well and, and Jake asking your your elders in your own family to sit down and then recording that story that uh, maybe catch them off guard while they're cooking is my favorite one right food is such a great tool to storytelling jake totally and <clears throat> you got to be annoying you got to be nosy <laughs> uh you know you have to take no for an answer many many times uh, and eventually you'll get a yes and sometimes these are traumatic memories sometimes they're memories that for those who are sharing them, uh, are associated with uh, negativity and trauma. And so we have to, even though I'm, I'm an impatient person, I want answers now. I'd like it nicely transcribed so we can publish. But we have to be very understanding that our elders have been through some stuff. And it does take time and it does take uh, trust. Even if we're related by blood, we still have to build a relationship so that there's comfort when they're able to tell that story. Well, the thing I really like about the Magnify Utah platform, and folks, again, check tonight's show notes for a link so you can uh, get this story and these resources, is that they're not, that's not just the happy, happy, joy, joy. Um, it's the dark times, too, are really important in order to pave that path forward, Jake. That's right. It, it, those stories that aren't the favorite ones or that aren't the brightest ones are actually the ones that are rooted in resilience that are rooted in strength, that teach us lessons and, and really uh, provide examples for us to embody and to, to really try to exemplify in our lives today by learning from those uh, sometimes dark stories of the past. Well, and Lynetta and Jake, thanks so much for coming down and talking with us this hour. And also this great playlist. we got one more song to go out on. It's another David Rhythm song, and I was hoping you'd set it up for us. Tell yes. us a bit about this. Another one, just shout out uh, to Brother David Rhythm. He really just captures the, the vibe and, and encapsulates our journey uh, from the islands to our urban and suburban context here in Utah um, as we're developing a new American identity. Too strong. David Rhythm, music meets activism here on KRCL Radioactive. Jake and Lynetta, thank you so much. Claudia as well for coming in and helping us set these up on Mondays for Magnify Utah. I'm Laura Jones. We'll be back tomorrow with Radioactive, plugging you into your community here on KRCL, weeknights at 6.
KRCL, Salt Lake City.